0: I know that many of you are aware of the fact that yesterday afternoon at two o'clock across the river and near Brunswick, Maryland, we had uh, just a wonderful memorial service for our dear brother in Christ, Brett Segler, who about a week and a half ago went home to be with the Lord. Brett only attended our church for about three years, but boy, he made an impact, didn't he? And I have to tell you that I sat on that platform for over two hours yesterday. The service was filled with Brett stories. It was filled with praise to the Lord. It was filled with bluegrass gospel music. It was an enjoyable, refreshing time, even as we celebrated the homegoing of our brother, even though we will miss him. One of the stories that they told sets us up very well for the right mindset of our text today in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 14. You can turn there if you want and I'll tell you a Brett story. Um, for those of you who don't know Brett, he was a great, big, strong high school kid, an outstanding football player at Brunswick High School, offensive lineman, about six four, two 240 pounds, had colleges looking at him. After high school, decided not to play ball and Got a job with the railroad and was just a big, strong, fun-loving guy. Did not know Christ at this time. He only worked for the railroad for about a year, and he was 19 years old, and it was lunchtime. He jumped on a crane that was passing by on the tracks there in the yard. It was not buckled down correctly, and the seat moved and tossed him as they were heading in for lunch. He was just hitching a ride. He rolled underneath that car, that train... Uh, crane and it folded him in in half beyond what the body is intended to fold, and it snapped him off in his lower back. So he was paralyzed from this waist down, a paraplegic. Uh, from age nineteen, he was fifty-seven when he went to be with the Lord. About ten or twelve years ago, those legs were so problematic; those helpless legs were so problematic that he had them removed, and that's how we know him uh, in his chair with just his little stubs and no legs. Well, all of his life, Brett was confined to a wheelchair, and uh, he had these battery-powered chairs. They're heavy, you know, and he's a big guy. And Brett liked to do things. He loved life. He, He loved the Lord, and he had a great testimony. Now, most of the time that we know him, he was dealing with infection in his body that was hindering him. Many of the folks who were there yesterday have such great memories of Brett as an outgoing evangelist and just an encouraging individual with a magnanimous personality. They said that Brett was on the towpath trail one afternoon he wanted to get out so he wanted to go take a walk quote unquote he got on his chair and he went down the towpath and he decided he wanted to get down by the river some pretty spot there and he was often known for going places he shouldn't go in his chair and so he gets off the trail and he goes down by the riverbank and there with the weight of his chair that battery-powered chair and the weight of his body he sank deep into the wet sand and he got stuck and he was helpless he could not move out of there the problem with this was that he was in a spot, a location that was sheltered from the path, and it was far enough away that it would be difficult to see or hear. And he literally could be there for hours. It was the kind of place they said that it really it wouldn't be unrealistic that someone could be there for a day or two and maybe not be seen. And so he's really in a problematic situation, and and he doesn't know what to do. He's fighting in the muck, and he's trying to get his chair out. He's gone somewhere he shouldn't go, and now he's sinking, and he's stuck, and he decides it's time to cry out for help. You ever been there? You're stuck in the mud, and it's finally time to cry out for help. And so Brett starts to yell, and he starts to holler for help, and of all things, High up above him, directly above him, in a huge tree, a voice hollers down and says, Hey buddy, you need some help? He's out in the middle of nowhere, and some guy who was hiking went way up in the tree, tied himself up and slept and fell asleep in the tree. (laughs) Brett starts to yell, and there's his help right there. That is a Brett story. Well, in Matthew chapter 14, we have a Peter story. And he's in a place where, I don't know if he should have been there or not, but he's in a place and he's sinking fast and he cries out for help and Jesus is right there to help him. You might want to reach for your notes that are in your bulletin this morning. We're going to... uh, do this week, much like we did last week. And we're going to read a couple of the gospel parallel accounts. They're not as extensive as Matthew, but we're going to read three sections of scripture. And then we're going to seek to answer three questions. You might find it helpful to fill in the blanks on your notes and help you follow along. And I trust you'll be encouraged and challenged by the word today. Let's read our text. It's in Matthew chapter 14. We begin with verse 22 and, um, We'll comment just a little bit, make sure we understand what's happening. Matthew's account. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Okay, let's stop right away and let's make sure we understand. Now, last week, we were in the section right before this. We're working our way through Matthew here at Fellowship Bible Church week to week. And we just had the miracle of feeding the More than 5,000 with the loaves and the fish. And what a story that was, and what a demonstration of the power and the deity of Christ demonstrated right there before all the people. And so, when it says in verse 22, immediately, that means right after this happened, and we will know from our other accounts that it was getting dark. So, this is the end of the day when you'll recall from last week's sermon that the disciples intended to get away out in the country and to rest. They were extremely tired. They had been out, scattered out ministering. They had come back together. Our Lord was there. Our Lord in his humanity was extremely fatigued. What The crowds had followed them there, as you recall, and then they spent all day with Jesus healing them, teaching them, and they needed something to eat, and that's when the little boy came up. Andrew came up with the young boy who had his small lunch, and our Lord had miraculously produced food out of that little lunch to the point that they had 12 basketfuls left over. And so immediately after that, so the disciples had just finished picking up the bread, taking care of these 12 baskets of extra food, trying to disperse the crowds. And I want you also to notice then it says, as soon as this was over, immediately it says here, and I want you to make note of this because this is going to come up later. He made them get in the boat. He made them Get into the boat and go before him to the other side. You just hold that thought in your mind. We'll come back to it. Let's continue to read now. While he, Jesus, dismissed the crowds. Verse 23, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain to by himself to pray. Boy, there's a model for us, isn't there? If our Lord needed to break away and get alone and be still and pray, how much more do we need to practice that? And yet how difficult in our a hectic pace of living and when evening came he was there alone but the boat by this time now notice this was a long way from the land that's what matthew says he uses in the greek there if you have a footnote in your bible or if you're reading a study bible you'll see that he uses the word stadia that was a greek form of measurement all right about 600 plus feet was one stadia Matthew just says he was many stadia, the boat was, out into the Sea of Galilee, and it's being beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. They're in a terrible storm, the boat is being tossed about, and and no matter which way they turn, it seems the wind is blowing upon them. And in the fourth hour, that would be 3 o'clock in the morning, verse 25, in the fourth hour or fourth watch of the night, 3 a.m., He, Jesus, came to them walking on the sea. Isn't that incredible? But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and they said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. What a pitiful scene, a boatload of grown men whimpering in fear. It is interesting to note that in the Greek term, the word that the ESV that I'm reading translates ghost is the word phantom. Phantom. That's we get our English word phantom from the Greek word that's translated ghost. And they think they're seeing a ghost. I thought a good title for this message would be The Phantom of the Sea. But then half the kids around here would think we're using the Hardy Boy books for our study or something. But anyway, if you haven't read Hardy Boy books, you don't get that. But so here we are. The Phantom of the Sea appears. And Peter the Lord says in verse 27, but immediately and they were terrified. It is a ghost, the end of verse 26, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. What comforting words from our Lord, regularly repeated in our New Testament, aren't they? Be still, calm down, let not your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. I don't know why he said that, but he does. He said, Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat. He walked on the water and he came to Jesus. And when he saw the wind, he was afraid. When he saw the results of the wind hitting the raves, the spray, he's afraid. He takes his eyes off Jesus and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. You know, that's not a bad prayer when you're sinking in the ocean (laughs) or when you're stuck in your sin. Lord, save me. Three words goes right to the heart of the matter. I am out of control. I need help. Lord, save me. For many of us, we've been to the cross and we've said that prayer, haven't we? Lord, by your shed blood, I repent of my sin and would you save me by the washing of your blood across me through my, take away my sin once and for all that I can stand in righteous holiness before a heavenly father and he will accept me based on the righteousness of Christ no righteousness of my own. Have you prayed that prayer at the cross? Lord, save me. Well, Peter's just in a panic. He's sinking. He's stuck. Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, verse 31, and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Man, wouldn't you have loved to have been there? Well, it's interesting to me that as we, uh, once again this week, read the parallel passages, parallel accounts, and the next one is in Mark chapter 6, Mark chapter 6, um, it's, it begins with verse 45. It's a much shorter account, but I want you to see that there's a little bit of nuance that's important. I'll point it out to you. Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 45. Look what it says. Here's how Mark recounts it. Immediately, okay, he made his disciples get into the boat. He made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. All right, this is one of the points I wanted to point out. Here it says in the ESV, they were making headway painfully. He said, we know they were having problems, all right? I think it's pretty neat how the NIV translates this. They were straining on the oars. They were straining on the oars. So they're working it, they're doing everything in their power. So that's one thing we're getting out of our reading of scripture here, that they are in a bad situation, and they're doing everything in their own strength that they can do to solve the problem. Straining against the oars, headway into the wind. I take that to to picture a swirling kind of wind, a setback kind of wind that no matter which way the wind tosses their boat and the waves move their boat, that the wind always seems to be pushing the opposite way, the way they want to go. And about the fourth watch of the night, 3 a.m., he came to them walking on the sea. And here's the next thing I wanted to point out. Mark says, and he meant to pass them by. Now, what in the world is that all about? I just think that is striking. I mean, he makes them get in the boat... Uh, let me ask you a question how many of you think that Jesus knew a storm was coming? (laughs) oh yeah and he sends them out into the night into the boat they evidently didn't want to I was thinking about that a little bit he made them get into the boat well some of these guys are fishermen right? For one thing, they just might want to stay where they were and rest. They didn't want to get in a boat. We don't want to sail at night. The other thing is, is do you think that these guys could figure out that there was a storm coming that evening? Man, the air just doesn't feel white. The wind is picking up. Lord, Lord, this is not a good time to be in the boat. Get in the boat and go. He made them get in the boat. I think it'll be interesting to go to heaven and find out if really there was a storm in the forecast or if the Lord just made that happen. How many of you think the Lord can make a storm just like that? How many of you think Jesus really walked on real water? I have no problem believing that he who spoke the worlds into existence could walk on that H2O when it wasn't frozen. No problem. So there they are and it says he meant to pass them by well what is I mean did it does it mean he wanted to be far away from them so that they would all see him so that it would appear like a ghost He's, Jesus is having a little fun with them you know it's like I know what I'll do I'll go like I'm going to walk past them and they, they won't know and I'm a phantom and it's going to scare them and I love to hear grown men squeal in fear <laughs> <laughs> I, I doubt that I mean, you just, as you run on your lawnmower this week, you can think about that. Why was Jesus going to walk past him? I have no idea. Ask Jim Shoopy later. All right. And so here we go. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and they cried out for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and he said, take heart. It is I do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded Now, here's something, to my shame, that I missed in our study last week, and I didn't see it until I was reading the parallel accounts this week for the storm sermon. For they did, verse 52 of Mark 6, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Ah, now I think I know why they're out at 3 o'clock in the morning in the middle of a storm that Jesus snapped up. And why he made them get in the boat is because they didn't fully learn the lessons of what was happening when he created all the bread and food. So I'm doing these great things in front of you, and you guys still don't get it. You're still weak in your faith. Well, one more passage. That's John chapter 6. And it's a very short passage. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 6. And let's pick up just a couple more interesting little bites of information here for us in verses 16 to 21. John chapter 6, verses 16 to 21. And when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. So they got in the boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. So you see how, if you didn't read Matthew and Mark, you would think that the disciples were like, hey guys, let's go. They didn't want to go. And these guys knew a storm was coming. They were fishermen. It was now dark, all right? So, John tells us that it's already dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them, and the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rode about three or four miles, that's one of the things I wanted to see in John's text, they had rode three or four miles, all right? 25 or 30 stadia, about 607 feet for a stadia. So they're out there, and I don't know if this means they had zigged and zagged in the wind for three or four miles, or if they were three or four miles directly out you know, from where our Lord was. They saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat, and were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. And then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land. To which they're going. There's another thing I want you to see. So he gets in the boat. It doesn't talk about Peter walking on the sea. He gets in the boat and then it says immediately the boat was where it was supposed to go. First of all, the storm calms. Then the boat gets where it's supposed to go. And I'm picturing like hair being plastered in the wind. But I don't think that's what happened. I, I think it was just a miraculous replacement of getting them to where he wanted them to be. I don't think I pointed it out to you, but I think in Mark's account, it also says that as he stood on the shore, he saw them out in the dark. And we find out from John's account that it's three or four miles and Jesus saw them. What, a, what an example of the, omnipresence, the uh, omnipresence of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he could see out to where they were. He never lost track of them. He knew exactly what was happening. Well, there's our three passages. We're back in Matthew chapter 14. And in the minutes that we have left, let's answer three questions. Now, I have called these diagnostic questions. And it's not so much the diagnosis of of what's happening in the passage. We want to unfold that. And we want to try to get what's happening here. But these three questions are diagnostic in that they are to help us as individuals to diagnose where we are in our faith as opposed to doubt, where are we in a confident faith of following Christ? Maybe these three answering these three questions will help you. The first question is is first of all, what are we to make of this? I mean, we read these three passages, I think they are most remarkable, and when I get done reading them, I kind of find myself asking this question: What in the world am I supposed to make of this passage like first of all, letter A on your outline is so, why did Peter step into the water and not the other disciples? And why would anybody even think to step into water? I mean, it's just nuts, isn't it? It's storming. Why? I don't, I'm not really sure what to do with that. I and mean, what was Peter thinking? We know that Peter was an excitable kind of guy. I mean, he's the sword swinging disciple on the night that our Lord was betrayed. He, he's very outspoken, he's a leader of the disciples. Often in the gospel accounts, when you hear disciples named and you have the, the top three, Peter, James, and John, it's always in that order. Peter, James, and John. You know, we never say James, John, and Peter, or John, James, and Peter. Peter, James, and John, he was their leader. He was there, man. He wanted to be there. And I'm just not sure, what, why did he do this? I was riding up to the memorial service with Lonzo Puller yesterday, and we were talking about this. Why do you think Peter got out of the boat? I and mean, we just have learned this story since Sunday school, but why would you do that? He said, well, he wanted to be with Jesus. Jesus was there. Yeah, but he was scared out of his skin there a minute before that. And I was saying to, to Lonzo that I think that Peter being so excitable, we know from the account that he was very frightened by the phantom of the sea. I mean, really scared. Like, oh, man, they're groaning as we're going to die. What is this? They're, they're seeing ghosts. And then all of a sudden, our Lord says, guys, be at ease. It is I. Don't be afraid. And they recognize his voice. And so they go from off the charts terror to off the charts relief. And I suggested to Lonzo that Peter was so excited that it was his Lord that he just forgot that he couldn't walk on water. And he jumped out of the boat and started heading to Jesus. Wherever Jesus is, that's where I'm going to be. And Lonzo said, come on. It's like forgetting that you can't fly. I thought that was pretty right. I don't, you know, what was he thinking? You don't get out on the water. But we also know there was a test question involved, right? He said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you and, and I'll come to you. So he must have been thinking about the concept of walking on water a little bit. And our Lord said, come, come. And he jumped into the water. Another question, though, that comes to me is like, what are we supposed to do with this? Is letter B is, is this something that's supposed to be modeled? Is this something that's supposed to be modeled? Okay. So preachers love to preach now. Okay. You got to get out of the boat. You're in the, st- you got to get out of the boat and get out of your comfort zone and, and get your eyes on Jesus and go places you've never been before. I think you're crazy to get out of the boat. My mom taught me to stay in the boat. And I think that leads us to letter C, Is are the disciples really guilty? Were they supposed to be scolded? Are the disciples really to be scolded for this? They're grown men, they're fishermen, they had enough sense not to get out of the boat. Maybe the story is, you should stay in your boat. I don't know how far to take this. It doesn't really say. I certainly think there's something about keeping your eyes on Jesus in this passage. But I'm not 100% sure what to do with getting out of the boat in the middle of a storm and walking towards Jesus and plying that to your life. And so you come home and you say, honey, we got to move to Montana. And what do you mean we got to move to Montana? Well, honey, there's mule deer out there and uh, there's a ranch for sale and I think we can do it. And, and, uh, and so we're only asking a million dollars for the ranch and our house is going to bring a quarter of a million. And, and, we're, and we're going to Montana and, and, and your, your wife says, have you lost your ever-loving mind? And you say, no, babe, you just got to get out of the boat. Get out of the boat! Get, come, come on! Get your eyes on Jesus. We're going to Montana. This, see where you end up with that kind of stuff? I don't know, you know, but I think it's pretty cool that Peter's got out of the boat, and I wish I had done that. And On the other hand, he took his eyes off Jesus, didn't he? Of course, none of us have ever done that. So what do we make of this passage I think that it helps us to understand and answer our second question, which is, why were they so weak in this? Why were they so weak in this? Why is it that the disciples receive this assessment of our Lord once again as he looks at them in the middle of the storm and says, why did you doubt? Where's your faith? Well, I think if we we can just glance down at these verses here and we can see letter a circumstantially that there were some very good reasons why they would have been weak in their faith that night and maybe you can relate to some of these first of all i think there are circumstances that they yield to and the first one is in verse 24 and it's helplessness helplessness verse 24 look what it says back in our text but the boat by this time was a long way we know that's three or four miles 25 or 30 stadia From land beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Listen, they didn't know what to do. They're in the middle of the night, 3 o'clock in the morning. Experienced fishermen are included in this number. They should have known what to do. And they don't know what to do, and they're out of control. Their circumstances are overwhelming to them. There is no good answer. We're helpless. This is going to kill us. You ever been there? I don't have any good answers for right now. I am absolutely helpless. And so I think that's a contributing factor circumstantially. Secondly, notice verse 25 it says, and in the fourth watch of the night, so we know that it was three o'clock in the morning, we've been emphasizing that. And so the second thing was sleeplessness. Sleeplessness. Not only were they helpless, but they've been sleepless. They are utterly exhausted and it's so difficult to maintain perspective in that exhaustion, isn't it? I, I was thinking about something that uh, occurred probably in 1991 with Roy Martin back there. And Roy was part of the West Virginia Guard, an artillery group that was shipped over to... I think it was Desert Shield to begin with, is that correct? And then it later turned into Desert Storm, but uh, one of the only, or maybe the only army group that was actually in combat over there that was a reserve group and serving alongside, I don't have that quite right, but they served alongside regular army and served well. Roy was a leader there and I was in the hallway of Independent Bible Church walking down the hall. We had Sunday evening services back then and there was an usher's office. I led the singing. I was heading into the auditorium and I stepped into the office when the phone rang and, and I picked it up and it was Roy and he was in Iraq. This is a long time ago. I think Kimberly is here and she was maybe sixth grade or seventh grade back then. And I answered the phone. You know, this is before uh, all of the technology that we all are so familiar with now with, you know, FaceTime and instant messaging and whatever. And and I answered the phone and it was Roy Martin. And I was glad to hear from him. and And I said, Roy, how are you? And he said, man, he said, Pastor, pray for me. I haven't slept in more than three days. I'm utterly exhausted. Can you please find Rose for me? I think my family should be there at church right now. Utter exhaustion overwhelms you. You can't think straight. You lose perspective. You don't know what to do. And these guys hadn't slept. They were exhausted early the day before. And now it's 3 o'clock in the morning. Thirdly, I think what we have here is we have in verse 26, it clearly says that they were terrified. They were terrified, so they were filled with fearfulness. Fearfulness. Make sure you get a Ness on the end there, all right? So they are helpless, they are sleepless, and they are filled with fear. You know, when you're afraid, you lose perspective too, don't you? you know, it just closes in on you. And you don't know what to do. You can't think. It takes your breath away. You have panic attacks. You literally have a physiological response to fear. Here's our disciples, grown men, terrified, thinking they're going to die. But not only... Circumstantially, but spiritually, I think it's important for us to recognize that, that they received this failing mark of faith from our Lord in the, in the end, in their assessment. Because spiritually, number one, they forgot his plan. They forgot his plan. Let's remind, remember I emphasized, and we've talked already, and I've emphasized that Jesus made them get in the boat. They didn't want to go there. They were out in this point, at this point, in the middle of the night, in the middle of the sea, in this boat, in the middle of the storm, because they were exactly where God wanted them to be. They were exactly in the will of God. They were exactly where Jesus told them to be. Now, let's let's remind ourselves that this three-word prayer works if you're out in the middle of the deep sea, in the middle of the night, because of your own stupid sinfulness. If you're drowning out in the sea because you have made one bad decision after another and you have followed the flesh and you're living in sin and you realize, man, I cannot do this anymore. And ultimately, sin will always take you there. It will wake you up and you will realize in the middle of some night, in the middle of the storm, and you can't get the wind out of your face and you're rowing for all you're worth and you can't row anymore. And it's time to say, Lord, please save me. You could even leave out the please, just say, Lord, save me. That's a good prayer. But that's not the disciples. The disciples are right in the plan of our Lord Jesus. And they're in the middle of the storm. It is possible to be in the middle of God's will right there, fulfilling what God has for you, and the storms keep blowing. There's nowhere in Scripture that teaches a health and wealth gospel. Nowhere. Don't be deceived by that nonsense. The second thing I think they forgot was his power. His power. Spiritually speaking, they forgot his power. Can't you recall a time when they'd been in this situation similarly? It's Matthew chapter 8. Don't turn there right now. You know the story well. It's in Mark chapter 4. That's the time they were in the boat. The storm comes up. And where's Jesus. Sleeping, right? And what did they say then? Lord, don't you care that we all die out here in the middle of this ocean? They shake him awake and they say, Lord, come on, save us. He looks at the wind and the waves and the sea and he says, shalom, peace be still. And then he turns to the disciples and he says almost the exact same thing. Where's your faith? Why are you doubting me? What's going on? They forgot that kind of power. They had just witnessed a couple hours before this, the breaking of this little boy's lunch into basketfuls left over. But they were out there alone. They lost perspective. How about his promises? Thirdly, his promises, spiritually speaking, they failed to remember his promises in the middle of the storm. We could turn to places like Matthew chapter 6, I remember the bird watching section that we spent some time with, Matthew chapter six, beginning with verse twenty-five. Again, you don't have to turn there; you know the passage. Jesus teaching his disciples, consider the birds. Christians, followers of Christ, are supposed to be bird watchers. Consider the birds. The Lord was using is one of his favorite teaching techniques, taking us from the lesser to the greater. Look at the birds. They don't toil. They don't labor. They don't plow. They don't have barns. They don't store up in silos. And our Heavenly Father feeds them every single day. And how much more important are you than the birds? Why are you worried about what you're going to eat today? I will take care of you. Why are you worried this boat's going to turn over? I will take care of you. I promise to take care of you. There's other places. He's been doing nothing but teaching them. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of you. And so I think circumstantially and spiritually, they let down. So what are we to learn from this? What are we to learn from this? What do we take home today? Let's kind of just combine this third question and concluding remarks. How do we move from cowering in fear to having a confident faith in our Lord Jesus Christ? well, I wish that I could give you like some little faith pills and you could swallow them and bam, shazam. But you know, we have the same situation to deal with that the disciples did. And in fact, I've, I've really, based upon the spiritual affairs of the disciples, are where I come up with the strategy for us to grow in our faith and to stop doubting We do this by believing His promises, letter A, by believing His promises. Listen, He is trustworthy. We have a trustworthy God. His ways are the right ways. He's trustworthy and we believe His promises. Young people, don't doubt God's promises in your life. The Lord God is a sun and a shield and the Lord will give grace and glory and no good thing will he withhold from him whose walk is upright. That's true. He promised it. It'll happen. Don't doubt him. Don't short circuit the Lord with your own agenda because you get tired of waiting on God to give you what you want. Trust his promises. I mean, let's apply this even a little bit further. Let's think of some storms that we're dealing with here at Fellowship Bible Church right now in people's lives. So how about no job and no money? All right, we've got a handful of people, and that's something that's been ongoing in the in the current economic climate and the way jobs are going. I think it might even get worse. Where We have to help each other out even more, like Acts chapter 2 and 4. So here's what we have. No job, going to lose the house, might have to foreclose don't have any money, it's a very difficult time. Is that a storm? That's a storm. Or how about this one? We have a lot of this. The doctor looks at you and says, it's malignant. It's malignant. Is that a storm? Okay, so what do you do? What do you do? You're going to run out in the backyard and scream at God and shake your fist and say, God, how come you gave me cancer? I'm only 77 years old. Well, how long did you think you were going to live? For one thing. But it can be worse than that It can be your little baby It can be all kinds What are you going to do? you Are going to hold your breath and scream at God? And it's really therapeutic to do that That's nonsense I want to tell you what this is This is a time when you're in the storm And three o'clock in the morning The fourth hour of the night And you're beyond helpless You have no answers for what's going on And it's time to claim the promises It's time to hold on to the promises You don't see the end from where you are you are in the process of the storm. It might get worse before it gets better. But how about a verse like Hebrews thirteen five and six? He has said that I will never leave you or forsake you. So do not fear. How about Psalm forty six one? The Lord God is. Um, um, I started doing. Uh, God is our refuge and our strength. God is our refuge and our strength. A very present help in time of trouble. You believe that or you don't believe it. It's either true or it's not true. It's not true part of the time. It's true all the time. God is my refuge and strength. A very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the mountains fall into the sea. So here's what you do. You're sitting at the kitchen table late at night and your checkbook has no money and you don't know what to do. And so you have to just bow your head and you have to say, Lord, we don't want to be afraid right now. And you've promised to take care of the birds and you promise never to leave us or forsake us. And you said you are our refuge and our strength. And so you see our need right now. And Lord, we did not put ourselves through stupid sin in the middle of this storm, And so we will wait upon you to meet this need. And you can trust the fact that you probably will not miss a meal. You might lose your house. It's not the end of the world. You get your days off back if you lose your house. You can go for a walk on your day off if you don't have a house. That's a good thing. And so, how about cancer spot on your lung? in your liver, in your brain, in your bones, in your lymph nodes. Lord, you said, you said that you are my refuge and my strength and that you are a very present help in time of trouble and I am going to be still before you and I'm going to wait on you that you will accomplish in me what you want. Don't you think that's a little bit more of what a courageous faith looks like than kicking in the drywall, slamming doors, screaming curse words at God. I don't really know the formula to get from one to the other. I just know that God's people trust Him because He's trustworthy. Believing in His promises, resting in His power and His presence, His letter B, resting in His power and His presence, and ultimately we end by worshiping Him. Listen, in the middle of it all, recognize that He is the Master of the universe. He's worthy of our worship. Let me remind you of a little story from my boyhood about His presence. This is what I mean. When I was in seventh grade, there's this punk kid named Raymond Thal used to who used to tell me he's going to beat me up. I I now, I now know that part of my issues are that I was bullied. Okay? So I was bullied. It was good for me. Raymond Thal scared me, man. He had big muscles. And he could beat me up, I think. And so as soon as the bell rang, I would run out and turn and go down the alley instead of down the street. If you've been around here, you've heard this story before. Because I was afraid of Raymond Thal. But I had another buddy whose name was Phil Raven. And Phil Raven could squish Raymond Thaw in a spot on the sidewalk. <laughs> he could step on him. Phil Raven didn't fear anybody at our school. And he was nails tough. And Phil Raven and I were good friends. And if I could walk beside Phil Raven all the way home, eight or nine blocks, I didn't care where Raymond Thaw was or what he said or what he did because, Rain- because Phil Raven would not let Raymond Thaw touch me. His presence. Do you know we have a a shepherd who walks with us and guides us through the valley of the shadow? We don't have to fear evil. He's a powerful shepherd, and he's a very present shepherd, and he's worthy of our worship. So let's keep our eyes on him, right? Keep your eyes on Jesus. I'm not 100% sure why Peter got out of the boat. I do know that when he took his eyes off of his Savior, he sank. And he got scolded for it. And I know that we are guilty of doing the same thing almost every day of our lives. We get discouraged and we get defeated. And we get brought down by the circumstances. And we make all these spiritual mistakes because we take our eyes off of Jesus, right? So may God give us the grace and to have a heart that chases after our Lord Jesus.